Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia InsureTech podcast. This is the only podcast in Asia focused on insurance that gives entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and investors a platform to discuss how technology is reshaping the insurance industry in Asia and, frankly, in the whole world. Today, I'm joined by Bob Wouders, the country manager at FWD General Insurance in Thailand. Bob, it's really great to have you on the show early in the morning. How are you doing today? Hi, good morning. I'm Although a bit isolated, but I'm, I'm feeling good and healthy. Isolation. I think I've not left the apartment really in almost 10 days. So yes. I, I definitely feel what you're feeling. Look, let's just jump right into the main topic. What do you think is the biggest trend in insure tech in Asia and frankly, globally during this COVID-19 crisis? What really surprised me was the the huge surge in digital and online sales that came through. Um, I don't think it's so much of a trend, but I, I believe that the crisis is really acting as a catalyst. And especially what I've seen here in Thailand is where we've sold over 2 million of COVID protection products throughout the country uh, in the last five weeks only. And a large part of that was sold online. Wow. Yeah. So that, that really was a game changer, I believe. And one of the other new phenomenons that I see is also is that there's a very rapid response in product launches. And to be fair, it's also done by traditional players, which I think will become the norm that people will adapt with new products when an opportunity arises and when there's a need in the market. So can we just back up for a second to put all of this stuff into context? Maybe you can share a bit of your background for our listeners as well. Well, yes, I'm um, currently running FWD's general insurance practice in Thailand. FWD is uh, very much known as a life insurance company, but uh, about a year ago, we decided that we want to build a general insurance practice across all the countries where we um, run our life businesses. And that capabilities, it's mainly three capabilities that we're building. One is um, to have a digital non-life underwriter. We have on the distribution side, we own digital brokers. And in Thailand, that means is that we got frank.co.th, one of the leading digital brokers in Thailand. And we have acquired a company called Amtrust, and they provide mobile and device protection. So very much mobile phone insurance. Got it. I want to back up again to one of the things you said, because I want to figure out if you think that this is a secular change. I mean, obviously, FWD is a digital insurer from the get-go, right? But do you think that COVID-19 is going to be something that, you use the word catalyst, but that accelerates the move towards more digital distribution on an ongoing and a going-forward basis? I, I believe so. And I think the longer that uh, the lockdown in many countries will continue, I think that people have no other option than to become more digital. Yeah, I think so too. And look, you said something just now that surprised me a little bit, and I didn't know this before, but you said you started buying some digital distribution or digital brokers. Frank is a company with which I'm very familiar yes. because I've known Prem for almost the entire time that I've been in Bangkok, maybe mm. six months after I came, I met him. And Frank has been something he's been working on for a few years now. Can you talk about that acquisition and what you think it means to the future of digital distribution at FWD? We um, already were part of the initial seat investors uh, in Frank right from the start, together with some other, right. um, some other partners. 
and we expanded our share to 100% um, in July last year. Okay. We believe that there's a trend that we see is that the, the customers want to have more choice. And given risk profiles and risk appetites, underwriters will be even more focused on the type of risk that they want to have on their own balance sheet. So I think the solution is very much into brokers and especially digital brokers where you can offer some of the products of affiliated companies, but all the other products that under uh, other underwriters can provide that meet the needs of the customers, you can also offer those. So it's a kind of a one-stop shop for all the needs of the customers. And yeah, and, and, and I think also there is where we believe that um, the whole customer experience needs to be very robust. So compared to, for example, some aggregators where sometimes to be fair is it you know the whole customer journey can be be can be a bit clunky because you go from you know one site where you're referred right. to another one and what we what we what premise done a fantastic job in building is a, a very seamless customer journey where you can transact actually on the frank platform instead of being redirected to other underwriters to do a more clunky uh, transaction on their own website i could not agree with you more one of the things i really dislike when i'm on an aggregation site is being then pumped over to somewhere else that's not familiar to me. And if I wanted to have gone there in the first place, I could have gone there to begin with. But part of the great thing about aggregation is I get one seamless experience if it's working properly. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. So let's let's talk a little bit more about some of the challenges around COVID-19. What internal actions has um, FWD taken and are is everybody working from home? Is there this and has everybody stayed out of the office for a certain period of time? We took quite a few measures and you know, basically it means is that we let people work from home where it's possible. And if that's not possible, then they really, really need to be in the office. We are working in split teams to minimize the spread or potential spread of, of the virus among uh, the complete team. And we made a very clear decision early on is that um, the priority really needs to be with the well-being of our people first, make sure that our customers are safe as well. And thirdly, we need to take care of our business partners. And I think that we as an insurance company have responsibility as part of the, the bigger nation to make sure that we set a good example by let people work from home and try to facilitate as much as possible. What has been the coordination like with the government response that's taking place? There have been some informal chats with um, uh, people in government. So we were pretty much aware of some of the, the, the measures that would be taken, or at least we were you know, very closely following all the news through all the government agencies, and we we're following all the, the daily press conferences very, very quickly. I don't think that there's been a lot of large-scale coordination because I believe that the government was really focusing on, you know, trying to figure out for themselves what they needed to do. Uh, but it became very clear early on that they didn't want to go for a complete overnight lockdown. And it's been a bit of a gradual buildup of some of the lockdown measures. And that gave us quite a bit of response time as well to get our own things in place before, you know, we could really make the step towards um, having a majority of our people working from home. And what is the size of the FWD operation in Thailand for people that may not be familiar? We have um, multiple companies currently. Um, one right. of the larger ones is uh, the recently acquired SCB Live Operations. SCB. Yep. Uh, yeah. So last year we acquired the live operations of SCB Bank, um, oh, which uh, has around 1,600 people 
we have our FWD Life traditional company, which is around 800 people. Then we have our Frank broker, as mentioned earlier, um, we have around 100 people there. And the newest acquisition that we have is Siam City Insurance, which is a non-life or general insurance underwriter that employs around 160 people. So that's almost 2,700 people in the country. Yes. The reason why I ask is because I was on the phone yesterday with somebody else in the same space. There was a person in their office who was suspected. They suspected themselves of contracting the virus. There are 200 people, I believe, in their office. And they had to sort of put in place some measures to make sure that nobody else got the virus there. And I'm wondering if you have any experiences with this amongst all the people in your own company. So what have been some of the biggest challenges of managing that group of people? Well, we are we are very lucky that we haven't had any suspected or confirmed case in Thailand Good with stuff. any of our employees. Yes, so we're we're very lucky. What we have seen is, for example, we had a couple of messengers that um, used to go to banks on a daily basis, and there was a confirmed case in one of the bank branches. Um, oh. So that that person, you know, um, was very proactive. Uh, stayed at home, uh, made sure he notified his manager, went straight to the doctor to get a test done, but waiting for the test and he just self-quarantined for 14 days. And what was really heartwarming to see as well is that, you know, the, this crisis also brings out the best uh, the best in people. So the, the, the number of, you know, um, uh, messages he got from all these colleagues and encouragement was really heartwarming. That is really awesome. And I was going to ask you further, like, with the people that you directly interact, what was the mood and the morale like at the office as as it kind of became clearer and clearer that the way people worked was going to have to change? Were people scared, concerned? What, what did that feel like? I was quite surprised that people were just taking it as it came. And people were a bit sharper and they said, hey, this is a challenge, but, but how can we make sure that we get organized as quickly as we can? And what do we really need to do? And again, here, this is also been a catalyst in in SEI, for example, where we had a plan to gradually um, replace some of the, the the older desktops that people were working on. We just completely overnight were able to, you know, I think we were the last ones to get 90 laptops from any of the vendors just before uh, the real surge came. So people got the laptops, the IT department worked overnight to install all the software so people could literally take these things home and start working from home very open-minded, and I, I see a lot of creativity going on on how people find ways to get things done, even if it's done not even, you know, uh, instigated top-down. People just, you know, if you give them freedom, if you encourage them, and if you, in times like these, you need to be a little less strict on some of your internal operating protocols. You just have to make sure is that people will communicate. So if they use their personal line communication to uh, to communicate amongst each other, uh, to make sure that they stay aligned and it's not the official account on the office, then, you know, it is what it is. So it's it, it's great to see. People are relatively calm, uh, but it's still the early days of the storm, I think. Um, but 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 it's it's been it's been great to see people step up and once you give them some flexibility to organize the work, um, they they do it. I agree with you completely, and I I want to sort of make a larger point about this. When you put humans in crisis, it's pretty amazing what they'll end up doing. There's this feeling I think just during normal times that people are super self interested and that they you know take care of themselves first before taking care of their compatriots, and yet. 
I've been in a you know pretty big crisis as well, and including this, and I, all I see is people f- trying to figure out ways to help other people. It's pretty amazing, actually. Yes. So I want to back up to this question about distribution, right? I talk a lot about alternative forms of distribution. I think Frank kind of fits into that category, but there are plenty of other ways that insurers in the region, not just in a country, but in a region where penetration is still relatively low. Do you think that what's happening now as a result of COVID-19, you said you sold 2 million, I think, did I get that number right? 2 million policies in the last like few well, weeks? There, there, there was, in the total country was 2 million, but we sold more than 50,000 in a matter of a couple of weeks. Right, but that's still a ton and that, that's a lot, right? But yes, do you think yes. that going forward, this changes, is there like a fundamental change in the way agent sales versus new distribution channels is going to change because of this? and is that going to accelerate or is it just because of the crisis and when it's over, things are going to go back to whatever normal is? It's kind of an air quotes, right? What do you think? I, 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 don't, I don't believe that there's going to be a normal again um, for, uh, for, a long, for a long time, probably not for the rest of the year. I think social distancing will be here for many, many more months to come. And if maybe the measures are not going to be there, people probably are being so scared that it will take quite a bit of time for them to relax a bit and to feel comfortable to interact with people face to face. That's that's what I believe. Or at least they will just, you know, make it the bare minimum face to face interactions that they need to go to. So I, I what what I see now is that the traditional channels, and this is specifically true for life insurance, they depend still so much on personal relationships and face to face interactions. Um, that's both for agency and for bank insurance. Um, but it's clear that it's nearly impossible nowadays. So I see that people are starting to replace those face-to-face interaction with, you know, video chats and and all kinds of social media tools that they're trying to use. But I see that people are really struggling to adapt to it. Maybe it's because it's a bit early days. And I think that quite a bit of sales on the life insurance side, which are very often also very seasonal because of the tax season in the, the end of the year, I think there will be, firstly, there will be a delay. And secondly, it will give some time to some of the uh, the agents to adapt to the situation. One of the things that I see uh, with the agents that I, I, I know very well in FWD Life is that they have invested quite a bit of time and effort in, you know, using their social media networks. And I think that the good ones already did it, but I see that it's becoming more of a common trend right now is that people are... You know, on a daily basis, sending out messages, giving updates, um, but also, you know, try to do lead generation through uh, social media accounts, either Facebook or Line. And I think that this is, again, a catalyst um, that will stay. Uh, and I think that on more on a company-wide scale is that the, the companies start to understand something that we already knew at FWD is that you need to provide all the, the sales tools online and digital tools online to the agents that they can do their job remoteless. Um, and I think, again, is that the old days that people were only depending on face-to-face and the old paper applications, those days are definitely the, uh, definitely history. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that to me as well. I, I spend a lot of time asking about how traditional agents 
will be, you know, will have to adapt to the new digital distribution channels. And I think there has been, like you said, a little bit of resistance, but now this forces them to at least try. And I think the great agents actually will love these new channels because it'll help them do sales in a way at scale that they couldn't have done before. And I think once they see the impact of that, it's going to be hard to get them to go back to just just doing, not stop doing, but just doing face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I mentioned earlier is, 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 and that's also something that is, you know, I think very appealing to uh, to agents is that there are new products coming up, and I think the relevance of insurance in these times of crisis is becoming clearer and clearer to the customers. So, hopefully, by having meaningful products, and this is something that we, of course, try to do in FWD from from inception. Meaningful products delivered seamlessly and digitally at the right time. Um, if we can do that, and if that becomes the norm during the crisis, that's something that the customers still want to see after the crisis is gone. Absolutely. And are these policies that you wrote on COVID nineteen are these parametric policies, or are they more traditional policies? It's it's a combination. We um, we tailored some of our existing medical products, but we also uh, designed some lump sum products that would pay out on uh, on COVID. It's very interesting to see, specifically in the general insurance space, that there were a couple of uh, players that came when the crisis was still in its infancy, and I think that the OIC clamped down on it a bit to make sure that nobody was you know taking too big risks. People right, were just right, assuming right. that it still would be okay, and 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 in hindsight, I think that these are pretty toxic, uh, pretty toxic products to have on your balance sheet. But um, um, I think the OIC did quite a good job on, you know, um, in a very fluid way, adapt to what the uh, uh, the people need, but at the same time also balance between the risks that several of the insurers were taking, and you can see very gradually is that the 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 type of policies and specifically around lump sum payments on diagnosis that were sold in the first couple of weeks, then gradually mm. became really upon death. So it became a bit more restricted. But at the right. same time, they were all very affordable products that um, uh, filled the need of the people. So I think that that's something else that um, you know had an impact on the regulator, on the distributors, on the insurance companies, where we all had to adapt to a very rapidly changing risk environment where right, right. people were getting aware of the fact that they actually needed to have insurance. <laughs> exactly. Not a bad thing for the industry. Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned was the rapidity and the speed with which some of these new products have been um, have been introduced. And do you think that changes as well? I think a lot about how if you're digitally connected to all of your clients and even your potential clients, the feedback that they give you is that loop that gets created, right? That's instantaneous and seamless, like you said, can give you an idea about what types of products customers might want directly from their mouths or their fingertips, right, from their typing. Do you think that that is going to continue and that's going to accelerate as well, where product creation is going to rely a lot on that interaction between digitally between the agents or and their potential clients and clients? Oh, definitely. This is also one of the reasons why we really put um, our, our frank digital brokerage as the, at the forefront of our distribution, and right. they need to translate what they see in terms of developments in the market, see opportunities, and relay that back to um, either their uh, partners, but also our own underwriter that we can just translate directly into new products that are meaningful at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that that definitely helps the distribution side of it, but also it helps the product creation and the penetration, right? Where penetration is still low. So to me, it definitely means that the opportunity is 
is huge. And I do think that that accelerates as well. Maybe I can add to that because that's something else that I saw as well. And I'm very happy with the role the DOIC played is normally it would take three to four months for them to approve a product. And nowadays they were just able to approve new products and product updates within five to 10 days. So that's pretty amazing job that these guys did as well. Yeah, you know, again, I've been to the OIC. We've had the the president of the OIC on the show. I've met him a couple of times. You know, when you're sitting in a regulatory seat, it's so hard to please everybody. And you're really there in a way, but it's hard though, right? So in a way, sometimes you look like you're getting in the way of progress, but most times you're, I think, if you're operating in good faith, you're just trying to provide that last level of safety to people so people, A, are still safe, but B, don't get taken advantage of as well. I think they're doing a relatively good job, actually, if you want to know the truth. Yeah, I, I agree. And not only on the, 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 the customer side, but it's also on the risk management or the, the, the financial Absolutely. management side as well. I mean, the, the shocks in the equity markets are huge. So keeping a clear eye, but at the same time, have some flexibility to uh, for the companies to, you know, to, to deal with the, the very shaky investment environment is something that they need to take into account as well. Right. And you may not know this, but I was sitting on an equity trading desk in Tokyo during 9-11 and also <laughs> during and also during the um, the Fukushima earthquake, the Sendai earthquake. I was also sitting on the trading desk. So I understand the way financial markets and equity markets react to uncertainty and crisis. And what I've seen over the last, well, it's really like a week ago, but what I've seen in the NASDAQ and the Dow and just the rest of the world stock markets has shocked me, frankly. So yes. yeah, good on the OIC for actually protecting there as well. You mentioned earlier that you think this goes for the rest of the year, at least. Not, not the whole crisis, but just people's reactions to it. Do you think that's like an outlier view? In other words, when you talk to your, I don't want to say colleagues, but people in similar situations to you, other CEOs, even some of the founders with whom you deal, are they saying the same thing? Or do some people think this is going to be over by June? Well, I think that people hope it's going to be over by June. <laughs> and let me let me say is like it's, it's June, somewhere mid of the year, June, July. Hopefully things are getting back to normal. But I believe that the mental impact on the people is going to last a lot longer. And this is based on some of the reading that I did on previous crisis crises, like you know, uh, especially like the Spanish flu. Um, mm. You could already see a century ago that people were wearing the mouth caps. And what you read there is that people were not comfortable to go back to church or to large gatherings up to one or two years after, because those were the sources of uh, uh, the, con the contagion. And I believe that, you know, large scale sports venues, etc. a lot of these events will, uh, uh, will be postponed or not taken. People will not feel comfortable to go and be in large, uh, large areas. I think people have started to become uh, more focused on their own little family and their own home environment. And it will take some time for them to mentally adapt that it's actually safe out there to go out there and to pick up their normal life. So I think that that mental impact is going to last a bit longer than just the measures that are taking place. I agree with you. It's hard to, and it's actually hard to measure, like you said, that psychological impact on people and just how comfortable they're going to be going back to places where a lot of people are gathering. Like, I don't think I'd go to a rock concert tomorrow. It just no. wouldn't anybody feel comfortable i think and in thailand one of the sources was at uh, the mung thai stadium that was yeah. one of the key sources of all the cases in thailand right now i think they're going to be struggling to get people back into these stadiums i completely agree with you it'll also be interesting to see and i can i can let you end after this but it'll be interesting to see what it does to 
the free movement of people between countries, right? In other words, a yes. lot of countries are on lockdown. Flights are international flights have been canceled. Japan announced yesterday that they're restricting access or entry, I believe, from 73 countries into Japan and also making sure that returning citizens have to be quarantined for two weeks, I think. So I just wonder when that's going to end and what the psychological toll and the economic toll is going to be on that. Because again, not to put too fine a point on it, but the world has become so connected and in a way maybe too connected. Mm. That's maybe an aggressive statement, but you can't put that genie back in the bottle of that connectivity. It's going to be really hard. I, I fully agree. And I think that this is going to be, you know, it's, there's there's always a silver lining in a crisis, but I think that we're going to, you know, reconsider some of the ways that we organized our societies, the way we organized our economy, and come up mm. with hopefully a bit more sustainable solutions that uh, that will last long term. Because people have become, you know, violently aware of the some of the consequences or risks that they have been neglecting so far in the way that we lead our daily lives. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end, actually, Bob, this idea that we're going to have to build a society that's more sustainable and that understands better what some of the risks are associated with this huge dose of connectivity that we have. Anyway, I really want to thank you for doing this this morning. My Bob pleasure. Waters, the, the country manager at FWD General Insurance in Thailand, I really enjoyed this a lot. Thanks, likewise. And hopefully we can uh, meet each other in person soon. Absolutely. Meet anybody in person as well, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much and have a great day.